Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress. That is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I come into October swinging with a 2.25-hour episode. In it, we talk Comic-Cons, real and virtual, the simple pleasures of the movie Aquaman, and the slightly uh, more complex ones of Spice World. Graham brings us up to date yet again on Death Metal. I knock us out of time yet again with discussions of Bloodstone and the Legion of Monsters, a horny Chris Claremont comic from 1975, and the first Conan comic I ever read. All this, plus a discussion of the Milestone titles, West Coast Avengers, the Korvac Saga, and much, much more. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. What uh, the hell? My favorite part was when you said, I don't know if this is fucking working, I'll fuck it another way. <laughs> Yes, Mr. Cool and Collected Under Pressure, that's me. Uh, yeah, so, yes, hopefully that, uh, that I, I'm tempted to leave that part in, because it is the part that I'm sure the listeners are like, oh god, the mental imagery, I just, I don't want. Anyway, I'm sorry, I missed that last part due to my ineptitude, so. Uh, no, I was just saying that this this has been a week that has been uh, particularly stressful, it feels. Yeah. Or maybe that's just me. I feel like this week has been a lot. Yes, it has been. It has been. Uh, I always worry, like, when we start doing this, it's like, oh, yes, a lot. Yes, it's a lot. Can you talk about it? No, I can't. Not on air. How about you? No. So, yeah, to be fair, like, I, I can't really talk about it on air. Um, see, Graham, you really, we've been doing this I, podcasting I, I, for so okay. long. Here's the thing. I've maneuvered us into a bad place because neither of us can actually talk about like the personal shit that has been yes. uh, a lot this week. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, the world has given us lots of shit that isn't personal that has also been exhausting this week. Oh my so god! That. Yes. Yeah. There, there that, is that. That's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's been no matter where you look, this week has been sort of like, hey, here's another thing. Yes. Here's another yeah. thing. But I want to. I want to pivot from that into something that has been like genuinely gave me anxiety dreams and woke me up because I was feeling so stressed. Tell which me. is this. We're recording this on uh Saturday the tenth of October. Yes. Ten ten twenty. Yeah, I guess it is, yeah. Um New York Comic Con is in theory happening right now. Oh Jesus. That was kind of my point. I feel that not only have I not really seen anything about New York Comic Con, I haven't written anything about New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. I did look at the panel lineup to see if I was going to be covering anything from work, and it was lackluster seems a polite way of putting it. <laughs> I'm wondering if basically everyone is completely burned out on the virtual comic convention right now. You know, like, utterly done with it. This is really weird because I had absolutely no, I mean, and I mean no conception that New York Comic Con was happening this weekend. But last night during, uh, while doing the dishes after dinner, I was thinking about real Comic Cons and virtual Comic Cons and how the presence of the virtual Comic Con more or less takes out the part of it that is um, interesting and worthwhile, which I think we talked about 
a little bit when talking about SDCC at home and things, which is that one of the amazing things about a real life Comic-Con is that there is uh, interactions between creators and fans in the flesh. And there is something about that that has a unique frisson that you just cannot that, you, that is almost unique. You, like, can't, you can't replicate it. Yeah, you really can't. You can't replicate it digitally. I mean, unless you were like holding New York Comic Con on like, I don't know, Chatterbait. You know what I mean? Like, other than that, like Chat Roulette. You know, there's just, because there is something that's like, fans for the most part are, you know, well behaved. But it's kind of it's kind of like when you have like, a, a, you know, movies with like real animals involved. Like, there's always going to be a little bit of something that's not going to be the same if you put in a CGI cougar or something. The fact that you've got a fan <laughs> there who's going to, like, they're probably not going to stand up and ask somebody. But I was I was actually thinking, and this is the problem, is, is I can't even remember who I was going to ask or what it was going to be. But realizing, oh, I think it was, oh, yeah, I do know what it was. Um... It, it, I was thinking about how uh, Mike Mignola, when he, because um, I was thinking about the stuff that had, uh, where uh, Shauna Gore um, came out with the stories about how horribly Scott Alley had treated her and how in the course of 24 to 36 hours, like finally the situation changed and Mike Magnolia was like, uh, I, you know, I stand with Shauna. I won't have anything to do with Scott Alley anymore. And dark horse being like, this is terrible. Um, and, and, and which was seemed like a big win, but then honestly what ended up happening was after, I don't know, a few days, people are like, well, Mike Magnolia is acting like this is the first that he's ever heard of it. And it's not. You yeah, know. it's clearly untrue. Yeah, yeah, it's it's totally for for um because I remember us talking on the podcast a bajillion years ago about not knowing that John Arcudi had basically walked away from BPRD based on you know a variety of things that he only alluded to, but after the fact, he more or less was like. Yeah, Mignolia knew because it was something that we mentioned that it was something that we were not comfortable with, you know, and he so for him to act like it's the first we're hearing of it. Anyway, so I was kind of I kind of had that thing of me being me, which is to say a complete nobody. My only chance to ever bring this up would be like if we were at Comic-Con and I got up and I got the mic during the retrospective on Mike Magnolia. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's the kind of question that's, you know, the comics news press, there's a variety of reasons why that question would, would have to be asked by somebody who was quite comfortable, who had nothing to lose. Yeah. Who was quite comfortable with basically like becoming a pariah in the industry. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So and that's the great thing, again, about Comic-Con is that is that is the only chance that you might have to ask that. And in most cases, 
almost nobody does. Because even if you got up and said that, you know, chances are good you're surrounded by thousands of Mike Mignola fans because you're probably at Spotlight on Mike Mignola and you're just going to get booed to fuck, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but you might be willing to do so, but you probably won't. So, like I said, there's kind of that that friction I was thinking about, like, well, that's the only place that can happen. And honestly, it's one of the few places that it can actually happen in modern media. I mean, you know, as we've seen, there's there's a lot of tough questions that go unasked because access is is so crucial and important. And like I said, there's something like once you boil down Comic-Con to a bunch of pre-recorded panels, I just I don't know how you're going to get that spontaneity. You know, yeah, and and also it's the one panel, the one New York Comic Con panel I watched was um, Scott Snyder and Jim Steinen in conversation. I think it was called In Conversation with Scott Snyder and Jim Steinen, mm-hmm. uh, and it did everything it was supposed to from a from the point of view of all the participants, right? But it was utterly devoid of anything new for Mm -hmm. want of a better way of putting it Mm -hmm. like they told stories that you've heard before and you got the idea that everyone involved was just going through the motions yeah right you know and it struck me that i feel that at this point like this is the it's definitely like the second high profile virtual convention maybe the third if you include dc fandom Mm -hmm. right but there have been countless virtual conventions this year Mm -hmm. and i feel that even the people participating in them Mm-hmm. Or have run out of ways to do it because you're not getting the fan interaction. That's not, right. It's not live, and there's only so many ways that Scott Snyder can say, "Yes, death metal is really personal to me." James, what about your Batman? Is that personal to you? Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think we've all been, and by which I mean, I've been in a few, and I'm sure you've sat in on many, where the panelists walk in. They're clearly all hungover as fuck. And the moderator opens it up to questions like two and a half minutes into a 45-minute yeah, panel. because no one has anything to say, yes. Exactly. And you're just hoping that a fan is going to deliver something that's going to spark some lightning there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there is a lot that's changed. And it feels weird uh, talking about it since it's so much your neck of the woods um, in terms of what you do and how you make a living. So it feels a little crazy for me to be pontificating about like, hey, remember back when the Comics Journal used to run interviews with people who um, basically just didn't give a fuck anymore, you know, and therefore just totally ratted each other out about what it was like to work in Marvel in the 70s? Yeah, that sort of stuff was great. And you'll never get that now. No. You know, you'll never... In a weird way, we're in such a weird flux time of, of comics mm-hmm. that I can't wait for like 10 years from now mm-hmm. when like Dan Didio has decided that he's not coming back to comics. Right. And he just gives an interview where he's like, you know, fuck it all. Okay, here's what you need to know. Which would be great, but I kind of don't think that'll happen. I mean, it might. It, it Honestly, it might. But see, I think that was the weird thing. It was kind of like 30 or 40 years ago, those guys were kind of like, like comic books was like, uh, you know, it was like a railroad. It was a hobo railroad car to nowhere. 
you know? So it was like, if you hopped out and decided to set the, the, the railroad car on fire, like you were just killing off a bunch of the other hobos that you were sick of. But now, and like if you, then in the eighties, if you were lucky, maybe you could make the jump from like comic books to, to writing for GI Joe, the animated series, you know? But now I feel like you can't really burn bridges because you're either going to be doing the rounds for future venture capital or the person that you may want to like, you know, shit talk is going to end up being like highly placed in Warner media. You know what I mean? Like back in the day when Marv Wolfman was like bitching about Jerry Conway, like there wasn't, there was no chance of that happening. And there was no chance that anyone in the industry was ever going to read or hear about it, you know, and by the industry, I mean, outside the comics industry and, you know, someone who's like a new line executive going like, mm, I don't know if this is the guy that we want to bring in on our writer's room. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's strange, but I, I, like I said, like I'm waiting for the point where people decide that they're just done. Mm hmm. And they're not going to come in, so they are willing to burn bridges. I hope so. I hope so. Like you said, you know, maybe I, maybe it I, will I, happen I, I, twenty or thirty years you ago. Know, people are. I don't want to say making it harder to do so, shall we say? Mm -hmm. But but there are definitely you know when you see like an Axel Alonso go, okay, but I'm going to have my second act at artist writers, right? License. Right. You know, or you see Mike Martz go from like Marvel to DC to Marvel and then to Aftershock. Mm -hmm. You know. He's not going to spill any beans because right. that would that would make his life incredibly difficult. Why mm -hmm. would anyone want to work with him if he just comes out and says, you know, who was terrible to work with Ethan Bud Skyver? Yes. Right. Um, but it's I, I am just looking forward to the point where people start. Uh, I don't know, saying where the bodies are buried or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Oh, I do know. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it's something that I want. I do think that there is, a, and I apologize if this is redundant because I think I've, I've talked about it, but sometimes, because instead of the convention line, this is something that, of course, I completely overlooked. We have things like social media. We have Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. Like, yeah, yeah, there are interactions between fans and pros now much more frequently, whereas before it was cons and letter columns, you know? Yeah. And now, of course, anyone can can take the time to look up Mike Mignola's Twitter and, you know... But it's all. But it's also much easier for them to ignore it. Oh, of course. Ignore it, block like you, and... Ran, yeah. If a random mm -hmm. person asks Mike Mignola, what did you know about Scott Alley? He just doesn't have to answer. Right. It's different if, you're, if he's in a panel. Right. Where he has to say at least, like, I'm not going to talk about it. That. Yeah, in the moment, just being like, I don't feel comfortable talking about it, you know. And then maybe you've got the chance of other people being like, well, no, I really want to hear this. Yeah, no, uh, but uh, actually my point was there's a lot of interactions that I see between pros and fans in which fans try to press pros about, like, hey, how could you stick up for this guy? He was clearly, you know, an abuser. And the person was like, I didn't know anything about it. And the fans like, how could you not know? I've been hearing shit about it on social media for years now. 
And the pros kind of like, well, I, I, I didn't hear. And then the fans like, okay, so I know everything that I know more than you is what you're saying. And there's always some level at which the pros like, I know shit that you don't know that you will never know. And you just need to shut the fuck up. In other words, I do think that part of the reason, because I think that this was a thing that came out during the, oh, great, every other male in comics is is a molesting piece of crap, is kind of like, let's stop bar cons. Don't do bar con. Like, getting people in a room outside of work where they are being, where people are feeling compelled to try and schmooze with one another with alcohol is just a huge power imbalance nightmare, you know? And yet <clears throat> I think part of the attraction apart from like, even if you're like, Oh, Hey, maybe if I buy, you know, Ron Mars, like an expensive enough drink, I'll get a chance to, you know, ghost write some top cow books or something like that is the idea of like maybe he can tell me that you know stanley murdered wally wood you know or <laughs> i don't know where that came from anyway uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I want to know i want to know exactly what you're talking about there you say that and i was like but don't forget ron mars is back in dc now endless winter oh right the endless winter thing wow endless winter that just seems I actually had to check that being announced. I mean, the one of these weird things where, like, I know stuff I'm not supposed to know. Right. And I was, Am I You're like, oh, shit, do I have to? Mm. Yeah. So no. I just had to Google it, and I was like, okay, it has been announced. I can say that. Endless Winter? It just seems like a bad idea. I mean, who knows? It's probably a great idea, but Endless Winter just sounds like, you know, the Game of Thrones TV show kind of went out with a fart. Like, nobody really yes, it, wants... It's awesome good idea for that reason it right yeah good idea it always makes me think of careless whisper that would be great um, okay i just want you to do cover versions of George Michael songs all the time? I, I would be down with it. I'd be down with it. I kind of was doing the sax thing. And I'm like, I have no idea how any of the lyrics of Careless Whisper go. In fact, I was like, where, where does he does he even say Careless Whisper in the song? He does. Like, he does. does he? Um, I can never mend the Careless Whisper of a good friend. That's... To the heart and mind of your answer's kind. There's no comfort in the truth. Pain is all you'll find. You do know the lyrics because it's say I'm never going to dance again. Guilty feet have got no rhythm. But... Well, see, that's it. That's the part where, you know, the way I danced with you should have known yeah. better than to cheat a friend. Cheat a friend. Bop, bop, bada, boop, boop, bop, bop. You know, and I'm never going to dance <laughs> that's again. That's <laughs> Exactly. I, I, the way I treat a friend. Oh, Lord. Oh, this is reminding me, by the way, just to get us further off topic. Mm. Um, Chloe and I watched Spice World last week. Oh, my God. Oh, Graham. Let's face you, it. Do you, want to, do you want to know the, the movies we watched last week? Last weekend was a high point of movies. As Jeff knows, and listeners, you may or may not know, Chloe's birthday was on the Friday. My birthday was on the Monday. And we spent the weekend not intentionally 
but watching a really weird selection of movies. Mm-hmm. Saturday, we watched half of the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes film. Ooh, God. Mm. Before bailing and yeah. watching Spice World, followed by The Shining. <laughs> Sunday. Okay, Graham, please tell me honestly. <laughs> Tell me oh honestly, God, how many how many of those movies were your suggestion? I doubt The Shining was yours. Spice Sh- World, maybe. Shining. Get this, The Shining was mine. No, really? Yes. What? Wow, um, I stand corrected. Um, wait, it gets weirder because the <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> what do you think we watched on the Sunday? Dude, you just dropped Spice World next to The Shining. I have no idea. Watched, like, Jeff, we watched Doctor Sleep. Oh, of course you did. The Shining, right. Which is the entire reason we watched The Shining, by the way, because Doctor Sleep turned up on HBO uh, Max. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, uh, uh, Doctor Sleep, have you seen it? No, and I've kind of been meaning to, even no, though. You, you haven't. No, <laughs> you haven't. <laughs> See, that was I it. I've never yeah. seen a film with worse pacing issues than Doctor Sleep. Which is kind of. I wholeheartedly believe you cut the first hour of that film and it wouldn't make any difference. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it, actually, of Like, course. it's shockingly poorly paced. Yeah. But Jeff, after that, we watched The Neon Demon. Oh my god. Okay. And whose idea was that? Was no, that, that yours? That was yeah, I was please. about to say, that's so... That seems... That almost seems I, like... Here's my very quick review of The Neon Demon. Yes. Um, I didn't realize that someone went, what if we reshot Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, but with a worse soundtrack, but made it prettier? Hmm. I got it. Have you seen? No, but I have to say, A, that sort of comports with what I've heard. And B, that really does sound like uh, Nicholas Winding Riffin, or however you say his name. Uh, that that does sound like his hashtag life goals. That's for sure. I, I also think after watching that film, I am more convinced than ever that uh, he has a shockingly low taste level, as the kids say. <laughs> that film is terrible. Well, right I... now, like Sean Witzke is listening to this and be like, "No, yeah, it's but true." Like, I think he, yeah, suffice think, to yeah. say, that was not my jam. Yes. At all. Uh, I'll go as far as say Spice Worlds is a better movie than The Neon Demon. Oh well, I mean, honestly, I feel like people. There, see, if you wanted to go that extra step and insist that they were the same movie, then we'd have a conversation going. But uh, <laughs> um, Spice World, unsurprisingly, doesn't hold up. <laughs> I I have to say, I didn't feel like it held up when I saw it in the theater. But maybe that oh was. Oh my gosh, just you saw it in the theater? That's I, I did. I, that is off to you. Why? <laughs> I I that's actually such a good question. I don't remember. I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this, Jeff. weren't you in your mid twenties when Spice World came out? Uh no, cramp! Christ's sakes, I think I was in my mid thirties. Like, didn't it come out? Didn't it come came out? Ninety seven. Ninety seven. Yeah. So I was thirty one. So Jeff, why did you see Spice World? With this <laughs> why am I on trial? You, you watched it at like forty six. And you exactly. were rewatching it. I paid money to rent it. Oh, okay. We'll see. No, um, honestly, why? I, I mean, apart from the fact that I found a variety of them hot, I think there was a little bit. 
you know, Richard E. Grant is in the movie. There's someone else who's in oh, it. There's, 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 I mean, there's, it's, it's jam packed with talent that is pissed film. away. The other thing I didn't, I didn't realize, cause of course I haven't seen it since I lived in the UK is that it's such a British film in that there's so many quote unquote celebrity cameos yes. that are inexplicable for people who aren't familiar with British culture. Right. Right. That sounds like about right. so many of them. Yeah. It's like, look, it's, it's it's Duffy from Casualty, a show that most people in America have never heard of. I've heard of it, but I've never watched an episode. You know, and so it's it's like of that level. Right, right. Uh, it's it's really bad, uh, but and yet still better than the Neon Demon. Amazing. Neon Amazing. Demon is, Neon Demon is a film I would almost recommend people watch, just because it's that bad. Now you you didn't watch Drive, did you, or have you? I saw Drive way after the fact, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was one of those things where, like, it was it was on Netflix or some. It was on something where I didn't have to pay any money to watch it. If that makes sense. <laughs> yes. And so many people had talked about it, and I was like, "Fuck it, why not?" Right. And now you know. Um, yeah, exactly. And I was like, "Oh, this isn't really my thing either." Well, actually, Demon, Demon is is uh, is very special. And really is beyond the Valley of the Dolls. It's kind of hilarious. Okay. Now, I don't mean to pull you off this topic because I, I know you're in it. But I know that uh, if somebody's Twitter is to be believed, you recently saw a superhero movie, which you had not seen up until now. Unless oh, Chloe watched your fires. Yes! Yes! I, I, we finished it this morning. I will say this. I was clearly not in Taquan enough to watch it all the way through in one go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well. but I have finished watching Aquaman again thanks to HBO Max. In this, uh, for this reason, HBO Max is like it's leaving soon, and I was like, "Fuck, it, I'm not going to pay any money to see it. I should watch it while it's still free." Right. Yep. Um, I really liked it. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it is. It's it's stupid as dirt. It is is a, a an incredibly stupid film. Yeah, but it is very well shot. It's a very pretty film. Oh yeah. Um, Momoa is charismatic, even mm-hmm. though he's he's as again as dumb as dirt as in the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's ambitious as fuck mm-hmm. in a way that is really charming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, you can't really fault something, and also it's dumb in the right ways. Well, yeah, that helps a, a bit lot. They're like, ah, let's go to war with the brain. They're the most dangerous warriors. Did you see them? They're all fucking giant crabs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. How could not like something like that. I I think that it is such an amazing love letter to the shit movie of the eighties, and that and it's done so well for that. Like the weird thing about Aquaman is there is so much intelligence. There's yeah, so many weird things. There's so much intelligence. Uh put into it at a level that never gets anywhere near the script or acting levels, but like no, but there are like the 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 fight sequence in Italy. Yes, it's right, remarkably well done. Exactly, exactly. Like, there's some great shots in that. Yeah, and there's some like the sense of this sounds absolutely ridiculous because it's Aquaman and it's a, a like a notably dumb film. Mm-hmm. But there's such a sense of geography in that fight. Absolutely, you just you know where everyone is in relation to each other the entire time, which is amazing because, because it's, it's also not happening in two in two D. It's in multiple. It's on multiple planes. You know. Yeah, yeah. yet it's it continually mm-hmm. 
works. Like I, that that uh, fight scene in particular is like this is really well done for something that's really shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, exactly. But I, and I didn't mean that as, as an insult. No, no, absolutely like, not. It is something that really doesn't try to be smart, for want of a better way of putting it. Yeah. And it, it's it's really interesting being smart. No. But it's incredibly well done. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. incredibly well done. Yeah. Yeah, I I just if the if there's any justice that will become sort of the the Flash Gordon of 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 our generation in a way because I really do think it's it's very hard to hate on it and it just really is I mean it's such a love letter again not just to Flash Gordon but also to like Tron and Crawl and like yes. It's it's kind of amazing the, the number of things they reference. Yeah, like there are explicit references to Tron. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there's there is there's references to Flash Garden. There's references to Star Wars. Like it's full of, you know, I was a kid between like eighty and eighty five. Exactly, and I had I, I, I had, I had HBO money, and I'm just going for it. Yeah, and so I am like I loved Beastmaster, and I loved you know the sword and the sorcerer, and and I'm just gonna and I'm figuring out a way to dump all of that in there. Dragon Slayer, uh, you know, just just really almost weirdly encyclopedic in a way that is great, and again looks lovely by the time you get to that big final battle sequence i mean it's just i i i I, you know i when we first talked about it which is to say i spent a lot of time ranting about it it really is like reading a dumb as dirt comic with gorgeous art you know where it's just like and, and the fun thing is that it's it's very easy to because it is dumb Mm-hmm. It's very easy to just like sit back and enjoy and not nitpick. And there's a lot to nitpick. Oh yeah, you know it's it's if you stop and think about the story too much, mm-hmm. no, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. but you don't care because again, it's astonishingly good eye candy. Yeah, and it occasionally surprises you by being really smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, oh, or or again, dumb. Smart in the dumbest things or dumb in the smartest ways. Yes, right. Like I cannot get over the the ramping up of, you know, the undersea kingdoms and they go, We're going to the kingdom of the fishermen mm-hmm. and then they're fucking fish people. Yeah. And then they're like, But now we have to go to the kingdom of the brine and it's fucking crabs. <laughs> like, there there is something so stupid about that. Yeah. That crosses the line into genius. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and and even the and spoilers for people who haven't seen it, but the fact that that um, Aqua. What's that? The fact that Julie Andrews is in it. Uh no no um wait where who what who uh you know the big monster the the, the CGI monsters that he faces yes oh right that's Julie that's Andrews. Julie Andrews yes no I was gonna say that the big monster that he faces is he he faces by literally t- communicating the whole like Aquaman's yes. big powers talking to the fish and here's where it makes a difference and it actually works was such a kind of it's it it really was it it was uh yeah i'm so glad you saw it and liked it and yeah it is it is it is um it's it's good dumb fun you know it really is i was i was very happily surprised yeah 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really was very happily surprised in how really genuinely kind of terrible it is, but but utterly enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Utterly mm-hmm. enjoyable. It it does it. It here's the here's the trick. It's utterly enjoyable in a way that you're kind of like, oh, maybe I should rewatch. You know, insert shit film here. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you're like, no, no. Like, I I would be careful about that because it is. It's it's. I, oh I no, mean, I, it, I didn't. I, yeah, I did. Like, I usually was like, oh, I should watch Blah Blah, and then I was like, no, nah, I shouldn't. Yeah, it's it's. Nah. It he makes it it Aquaman makes it look easier than it is in part because there's stuff that is so unbelievably dumb or poorly constructed you're like well i mean then i might as well just go and rewatch suicide squad and it's like no you should you should not it's, <laughs> it's not it's not the same thing at all that's so, it i'm gonna go and watch suicide squad right now see you later jeff yeah exactly <laughs> you know we keep threatening to do that twitch live stream um no you keep threatening to do it <laughs> It's true. I do. You just, you, just, just like, no, absolutely not. There's no way. So I, I don't know, Graham. I still think it's a good idea. I still think it's a good idea. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll do it for Christmas or something. Yeah, right. So, uh, uh, so segueing from bad uh, movies or even enjoyably bad movies to enjoyably bad comics. Um, there's a couple of things I want to talk about that is just kind of what I've been reading. And some of it is like a lot of it. Some, in many cases is nothing that is new, but like, you know, two or three weeks ago, they dropped another West coast Avengers collection digitally finally. So the next oh, volume takes. of Engelhart stuff is out. Yeah. Oh, Maybe. That's... Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You're not as much of, but. I think there's a Marvel BOGO sale going that probably will end the day that we release this. Cause I think it ends on the 12th, but for people, Oh wait, it might be too soon for it. I don't remember. There was definitely something where maybe not. Anyway, uh, the latest volume in the Ankleheart shenanigans, and this is well into the area, uh, the era that I had stopped reading. It's also a little padded out cause they put in the, the West Coast Avengers Avengers annual where it's the Grandmaster versus the Collector. Um, you know, they're they're sort of like, hey, it's everyone battling to the death, which is good fun, but I swear it's something. Oh, is it Tales been... to Astonish? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all this stuff. That's, where... that's, the, that, that's the end of his run then. Um, yeah, I swear to God, it looks like there's at least one more issue after the end of it. I was like, okay, I know this is the end of his run, but like... I mean, admittedly, I'm sure he gets booted off sooner than than he was expecting, but it runs all the way through. Let me see if I can find it. No, he's gone. That's it. That's the end of his run. Is it really? That's the last yeah, issue. That's the end of his run. Issue thirty-seven, which it goes up to, is the end of his run. Oh, it's it's or so. Is it? I, Apparently, he did thirty-nine, but I thought he didn't. Hmm. Might be one of the ones he's credited for and didn't actually write. Hmm. We'll have to check out his website, but. Uh, but man, it was, I had never read the Tales to Astonish stuff. And, oh, and you know what else is in the collection, which is kind of, again, like padding out the space. They had Emperor Doom. Emperor Doom which, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the comicsology page right now and I'm like, Emperor Doom? <laughs> yeah, which I had never read. And I gotta fucking tell you, was better than I thought it would be. Honestly, I mean... 
considering that it is a story that has been told, I think, no less than twice before. Like, literally, I want to say there was an issue of Supervillain Team-Up and an issue of Champions, unless it was like the same storyline and a crossover, in which Doom more or less conquers the world by having everyone... He controls their mind, and so everyone believe you know believes that he's the natural ruler and should be have you read emperor doom graham i never have i've got to be honest jeff as we're talking i'm looking at this in comicsology and be like do i just buy it yeah you should well yeah. double uh, double uh, check the bogo and make sure if you can make sure it qualifies so you can at least get another book for i think the book was it. over no i thought it was going through the 12th isn't it let me look because i'm on comicsology right now yeah, just just uh, just. I am not seeing any Marvel Bogo sale on on Comics Okay, right hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. I am seeing the Namer sale, which is just very weird. I know, and the Namer sale, I was like, and then there was something that I almost picked up with that. No, 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 Graham. It's uh, if you go oh, to no, the front it ends, page, it ends, yeah, it's on the it's on the front page, and that's it. Yeah, it, uh, October twelfth ends eleven p.m. Eastern. Eastern eight Pacific. So people get on that. Um, Again, the thing that's rough is is that it's something where it's like everything released up until nine sixteen twenty or after, which is to say, oh yeah, this is October. No, I think this is in. I think this qualifies. But yeah, then the Namer sale also. Uh, friend of the podcast Todd Allen pointed out that it stacks. So I don't necessarily know if you want like say the Submariner marvel uh masterworks books but um i'll tell you right now no <laughs> but graham i do think that you want this avengers book and it's worth getting i just where is the other stuff hmm yeah now it's going into the single issues anyway listeners graham and i can figure this out later but emperor doom is is good it's it's one of those weird things where it's a um it's a Marvel graphic novel back when Jim Shooter thought that a graphic novel meant just a big comic book. Like it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, because they're only like like sixty pages or something, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of, and there's nothing you know earth shattering about it. It's just a really, it's kind of like an excellent annual, and I think the art is by uh, Bob Hall, who's work i always was amazingly underrated bob paul is someone who every time i see his work i'm like he's really fucking solid why do people not think about him you gotta get this then you might as just you gotta get this book because i I was he's good um, in this it's a little little thing Mm -hmm. that you might want to know i just looked on amazon and amazon has available digitally for kindle and comiXology for 9.99 okay never mind the bogo sale well it's just literally half price right as you know, that's Amazon's workaround, right? You're the one who explained that to me. When yes. when Comixology does the BOGO, Amazon just cuts all the prices in half for the stuff that qualifies. So yeah, if you don't, if you just want to get the one, get it for like nine bucks. But um, dude, you got to do it. Emperor Doom is a real. It's I dug it. It totally scratched my itch. I swear to God, it's just a super long. Um, super villain team up with like everyone else involved but it's but it was good then you followed up with the annuals and then you get into the tales to astonish which again god loves steve Englehart. he was like hey remember all those terrible 
villains that the Ant-Man fought in his first seven or eight issues back when it was drawn by artists who really didn't understand superhero comics or rather didn't understand the quote-unquote modern superhero comic. Aren't those guys great? Like the voice. We got to bring back the voice. And so there's a lot of characters that are just... That are... That's the, the Tales of Sonic also is the storyline that ends with a bit that everyone ignored after that. Uh, which which is what? Because I mean, I feel like there was a lot that was Tales, Tales of Sonic ends with him uh, him rehabilitating Agatha. his brilliant yeah. life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and like staying in Russia with his wife. Right. And like like three months later, he's back in California with the wasp, and they're like, "We're fucking again." Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, let's just pretend that never happened. Well, it's, which again, just, that's kind no, of how, just, that's how Engelhart's, that's how Engelhart's era wrapped up in, in Marvel in the eighties, wasn't it? No, cause when Byrne comes on, uh, West Coast Avengers, <laughs> yeah, he, right. he really makes hate of the Hawkeye Mockingbird split. Oh, does he? Oh, okay. Yeah, so he, they keep going with that. He aggressively goes after that mm. in a way that honestly is kind of incredibly shitty to Mockingbird. Well, of course, because A, it's Burn, and B, he's also kind it's of like, burn. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's also where he's like, oh boy, finally a chance to undo this hideous WandaVision marriage nightmare. Boy, I'm going to fix this. John the Fixer Burn. That's, that's me <laughs> anyway that trade gram is fantastic and i have to say i hugely enjoyed reading it it was just like a big old box of bonbons um so totally recommend you picking it up and then i, I will good you should you should do it now <laughs> press the buy button now Graham. we're listening we're listening very closely <laughs> You know what's funny? I read I reread the Carvac saga. Oh shit! Wow. Um, and I I wish I could tell you what made me think that was a good idea. I wish <laughs> I could tell you. No, I I honestly I wish I could tell you why I was like I want to reread the Carvac saga. But I did. I saw it in Hoopla, and I was like, okay. Because it's. I mean, it's it's potentially great. Like there's parts it's, of it that I love too. Interesting. There are lots. There are lots of things in it that are smart and yes, interesting. Right. And it's it's also kind of a fucking mess. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, but it's it's a mess in a way that's compelling. Question mark. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I'm. I totally. I dig it. About the only thing that I don't dig is I have to say I don't think that the art team of George Perez and Pablo Marcos is is a good one. I'm not down it's, with it's it. It's not. It's yeah. very not. It's yeah. surprisingly bad one. Yeah. yeah. And that and that runs through a lot, which is a heartbreaker. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's also, again, it's Jim Shooter in his whole like, oh, yeah. It's very Jim Shooter. It is oh so much it, it so is joke Jim Shooter, you know. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. Oh man, that is. Uh, so that was the Corvax saga was on Hoopla. Well, I have to. Yeah. Hmm. The other thing I want <laughs> to mention. Sorry. Yes. No. No. Yes, no. Please. No. You should no, no, go, go back to it. Go, Jeff. No. Go. No, Graham. I've got. I've no. Got no. Some... I was just going to talk more about the Corvax saga. I want to know what else you've been reading. 
Oh, no, no. I want to know more about the Corvax saga because otherwise it's just a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to do a listicle podcast. No, I do have a list of things, stuff. One of but... the things that's interesting about the Corvax saga mm-hmm. is how much it felt like the Avengers to me. In a way that, like, nothing recently has felt like the Avengers. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have a very particular sense of what a book should feel like. Like, mm. I've, I've had this for the X-Men forever, right? Mm-hmm. The X-Men, everything post-Mutant Massacre isn't the X-Men for me. Right. And I was reading the X-Men at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not like a nostalgia thing. Like, theoretically, all the Australia stuff should be nostalgia for me as well. But even as I was reading it, I was like, this doesn't feel right. Yeah, I know what you mean about that, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um but but the Carfax saga feels like the Avengers. Hmm. Uh, it feels like the Avengers because the, there's a weird and this is shooter I think. Um, there's a weird claustrophobia about it. Mm. Hmm. Like you have the Beast who is back. This is back before the Beast became a genocidal lunatic. <laughs> like this is the fun loving guy mm-hmm. who's like you know, bombastic and has a bigger life personality, and it's set up so that he is like on the outs with the team like the beast and wonder man are sort of not accepted because they're too outgoing and upbeat mm. you know and it said mm-hmm. the core of the team is the vision and thor who in this period is being like really fucking weird and like off with everyone right. and iron man and captain america all of whom are assholes right, right. like all of whom are aggressively unpleasant to everyone right Right. right, and it's yeah. this weird claustrophobic thing where you're like, it must suck being in the Avengers. <laughs> like, it must really suck because all of the Avengers are dicks. Apart from these two guys and these two guys, no one really wants them on the team because they think they're too lazy. Mm. And it's just this, and there's something about that that was like, this is the Avengers. <laughs> like, the Avengers is the main Marvel team, but they're all terrible people. Wow. Wow, that's amazing that that's your definition of the Avengers. And I have to say, I kind of right? get it. Right, yeah. Yeah, I kind of get it. You know, it's funny that you mention that because I do think that there is a, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot that, that changed, um, you know, about our perceptions of some of these characters, I guess. But like, Frankly, like coming out from from Stan Lee on, both both Captain America and Iron Man were more or less defined by their misery. You know what I mean? They were both Captain America, especially how uptight he is. Yeah, although I feel like that's a little bit of a um, some of it is the way that Shooter colors those characters. You know what I mean? But I. But I do see that it's there. But before it was kind of like they're both on variations on that, you know, Cap's like sitting in an Avengers mansion being like, oh, I've got no life. Oh, Bucky, I can't believe I lost Bucky. And Iron Man's over there being like, oh, I've, I just want to love again. And the woman I love is with my best friend. And I can't tell any of them how I feel because I could die at any fucking moment. And I kind of like how much... Um, you're right. Like Shooter really does just turn them into uptight assholes. But I think one of the things that I sort of like about the Korvac saga that I remember is a Korvac. Like it's very, um, it's it's very much Shooter kind of working in you know 
that sort of shorthand, like kind of fanfic mode is, is the shorthand. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, very use. much. Yeah. You know, he's kind of like, there's so much stuff that people do in these stories. And why don't we just think it through? Like if I was an omniscient super, you know, super being, the first thing I do was make sure that I was screwing a hot chick. Um, and then the second thing that I would do is like, I wouldn't be attacking the superheroes outright. I would be using my powers to kind of undermine reality without them knowing. And in fact, I don't want them to know. And so there's a lot of, like you said, there's the claustrophobia, but there's a lot of paranoia in the Korvac yes, saga yes, where. Yes. And, and also has like one of the best reveals, mm-hmm. you know, the reveal that front end's purposes he gets outed by the fact that he's blinded Starhawk so Starhawk can't see him. Yes. Yeah. Everything would be fine if he'd just done that differently. Yeah. But Starhawk's like, who are you talking to? Yes. Why are you trying to fuck with me and drive me crazy? There's no one there. And that's the moment it turns. You're right. That's a, that is a great reveal. And also is that perfect moment of, yeah, like he, Korvac undoes himself. And then, you know, is he is very much the, the architect of his own defeat in a way that, you know, again, is kind of that um, a lot of guys who were thinking about this sort of stuff. I mean, that's very much Starlin's Thanos as well, but it's, but they do it in very different ways. And Shooter's way is, is actually pretty satisfying. Um, Especially because as shit gets real, it just gets, that bloody superhero fight at the end is just fucking brutal. Um, I also did, you know, again, those guys are dicks in part because they know something's happening, but they can't figure out what it is. And so, so there are the characters who are just getting more fucked up. I also love the fact that the Avengers, that Korvac saga, just, there's like 36 characters by the end of it. Like Star, uh, Shooter just keeps throwing more and more and more in it's like he's trying to give george perez a nervous breakdown but like you know he already just like no give it give me more i want all of the guardians of the galaxy and i do want the swelled up ranks of the avengers and yes absolutely jocasta has got to be front and center um yeah it's just now you know i don't suppose the korvac saga has that amazing what if issue after it right no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Ooh, because that I gotta say that should, is. Should I look it up? Is it on Marvel? Let's see if someone. Yeah, yeah, Unlimited. yeah. It's on. I think it's on Marvel Unlimited. We've talked about this before. It's fabulous. It's uh, written by I mean, Mark I, I know. And... I know. I've read it. I just can't remember if it's on Marvel Unlimited. Mm, I think um... it is because Death shows up in the credits as yes! one of the, as, as as one of the creators. Yes. And so there's yes. an entry when you browse for creators, death shows up, which is just, God that's, love the person maintaining fair. the database. Yeah, that seems fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nothing strange there. Everything's fine. <laughs> so uh, another thing that I read, a, another moldy oldie that was something that I'd never read before, and this is directly related to you. You had mentioned... Uh, and I don't remember if it was in one of your articles or I think it was just a tweet. You'd mentioned that uh, DC was bringing back the milestone stuff um, yes. and that the heart first trade the hardware trade had been re-released digitally. 
Um, and so I bought that and read it. Holy moly, you and me read the same old comic in the same week. Oh my god. Well, I mean, it was over a couple of periods of time. But you must have read it when it first came out, right? So this yes. is not yes, new to did. you. It was entirely new to me. And really, wow, what a read. I got to tell what you. What do you think? I'm, I'm really curious. Because I've got to be honest. When I reread it this time, mm-hmm. I had liked it less than I did when it was coming out. I can see that because it is very much of its time. You know, I mean, there's a level of, uh, how do I put it? Well, first off, I, I liked it. I liked how much of it was, um, I mean, you know, it's Dwayne McDuffie. Uh, how do I put it? It hardware feels like, a conversation happening on a number of levels, right? Like on the one oh, hand, very much so. yeah. On the one hand, hardware is very much a, um, engaged with image comics, the image comics of the time. That seems to me like a much bigger influence than I would have expected. But there's times where hardware breaks out guns and just starts shooting the fuck out of people um and i think that it's kind of interesting for me knowing nothing about the character how much mcduffie makes the character be someone that needs a essentially a redemption arc like right off the bat like it's kind of like it which is a good angle in a way because hardware is such um He's such this amazingly competent superhero, but also brilliant scientist who created all of his own powers. Um, there's there's something that's a very funny. I feel like he's McDuffie's doing some weird specific callouts to um, his Deathlock run in a way that I was having uh, like I haven't read enough of to nail down, but I'm like. Yeah, there's something here where he's specifically twigging about that. And there's also just there was also just shit. It was funny how much reading represent issue one where Chris what's his name? It's not Carter, is it? What's the, the name of the author for uh represent issue? Oh, um it is Chris Carter, isn't it? I think it's Chris Cooper. Chris, Chris Cooper. Cooper, thank you. Chris Cooper crafts this story, you know, about a bird watcher who has these binoculars and every bird that he sees is related to, um, you know, a different black person that was killed by the police. I very much liked how hardware has um, the uh, hardware has a pet parakeet that is a specific metaphor for him you know about his level of being trapped uh and contained by you know white society as embodied in the boss that uses and creates him and and there's also something that's very work for hire about you know there's a critique say, of there, work for hire like even it, there feels mm-hmm. a, there feels a very clear yeah mcduffie's writing about having written for marvel yes yeah, you know, and the idea that there are these white figures who have taken him under his wing, mm-hmm. and being like, "No, no, you're 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 one of us," right. like you're like family. Until he asks 
basically for quality and they're like no no let me just lay this down for you yeah you're, you're cogging the machine yeah like you don't matter exactly you do not like matter that in the feel, slightest. that feels mm-hmm. uh you know blatantly autobiographical yeah to me yeah yeah um what what i had forgotten and maybe didn't even realize because like i was reading it monthly is how uh, i'm maybe i'm used to traditional uh superhero comics today mm-hmm. when basically the rhythm is better mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. a staccato rhythm like hell mm-hmm. in the collection it, it's it's very uneven it's very choppy right right like issue to issue to issue it doesn't read like a it doesn't read like a book it reads like eight different issues yes exactly and that's that is actually part of what i enjoyed about it was such the feeling of like oh this is you know quote unquote this is a comic book like even by the time you get to the end of the fourth issue that more or less closes the first quote unquote arc it still doesn't have like i'm like those barely felt like four issues you know and then there's a whole there's a whole um issue that's like a dream sequence uh issue that that on the one hand is great but is also kind of like i don't really like the stakes I don't think we this yeah like exactly there's a lot of stuff that didn't necessarily feel earned so it was kind of it was you know it was it was an interesting bag of flaws but it was also incredibly exciting because it was really exciting it is. It's, a, it's, it's a very exciting book it's it's i would say you know when you compare it to static when you compare it to um icon mm-hmm. you know those are far better books mm. they're far more even they have a better sense of their identity because one of the things about hardware is I think hardware as a series really stumbles in finding its identity. Mm. It feels like you have like at least two different times in that first collection of eight issues where people are like, "Hey man, you've got to get yourself straight," and he's like, "So I am. I'm doing this." Right. And then two issues later, he's like, "Actually, I'm doing this." Yeah. You know, and I feel that Icon and Static were much clearer from the get go. Mm-hmm. This is the book. This is what we're doing. Right. Um, but it's, I would say it's like stronger than Blood Syndicate, for example, but it's an exciting book. It Mm -hmm. it still feels like there's something there, Mm -hmm. something unusual, something interesting, something you want to read more of. Well, I also think that there is a, um, because the icon stuff was the, was created, Milestone was created with this idea of they were going to have creator rights and things like not only do you have a new character with a new origin but there's new villains like every issue or every other issue you know yeah so uh, they're maybe they're not necessarily good but you know a they're new and and that also gives you that gives you a lot of juice you really i was like oh yeah i don't know if this death wish characters ever going to come back or not you know kind of thing when you're reading it's like they could kill him off they could keep him like and then then the stuff they do with that oh boy so anyway yeah yeah i mean it was like and again like i said that it really reminded me of um 
uh, it well, I mean, I talk about Deathlock, but really it reminded me a lot of Spawn. It really reminded me a lot of the how um, um, weirdly volatile, uh, but but eager to engage with the world. Um, the early image comics were, and maybe not, not necessarily, you know, and, and really they didn't necessarily do it well or successfully, but I was like, yeah, this is, this is definitely a comic where somebody can contract AIDS, you know, (laughs) that's, Um, that's... we should really, really go, oh, Jeff, read Icon. I like Icon is just the first Icon collection which is a reprint of something came out like 20 years ago. Um, by which I mean the collection came out 20 years. The comic mm-hmm. came out like 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that just came out this week on Comixology. So oh, it's probably going to appear on Hoopla soon. But Icon is great. Icon is really legitimately really good. Um, it's probably doing McDuffie's best work for, for Milestone. Mm. Okay. And at I some point it introduces a character called Buck Wild. Do you know? Do you oh know Buck- yes, Buck Wild, his parody of Luke Cage, right? Who is amazing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is genuinely amazing? But Icon in general is just a very smart, very well written series, but also a great superhero comic. Mm. Hmm. Well, I will. I I look forward to checking it out. In fact, I was going to ask you one of the things that was kind of hard was. Uh, I was sort of scanning for it in the new comic releases, I think. And I didn't, you know, other milestone stuff because your tweet had sort of mentioned that they were going to be putting more of it Yeah. On digital. But, um, yeah, I will, I will. Yeah. Icon Icon has shown up. The first collection just went on, on Comixology this week. Okay. And so hopefully the rest of it's coming soon. Um, also, if you're on DC Universe, the mm. first issue of Static Shock mm. from 2000 appeared, which is the revival, the four-issue revival series by McDuffie and John Paul Leon. Mm. Oh, wow. John Paul Leon. Wow. John Paul Leon was the original artist of Static. He's oh, the co-creator of Static. I would say it was his first comic. Oh, my gosh. He's um, so good. He's on there for like at least a year. Huh. Uh, and then he does a, a spin-off series called Shadow Cabinet for Milestone for like the entire series. Oh, I remember Shadow months. Cabinet. I mean, remember it isn't remember the covers. I didn't pick it up, but it's it's a really solid series. Hmm. Uh, I'm very much the authority before the authority, but if the authority weren't assholes, huh? Well, that I'm like that sounds paradoxical. I'll have to check that out. Um. So yeah, it's there. I can't wait for Shadow Cabinet to show up. I really hope they get Shadow Cabinet up sooner rather than later. Right. Um, but the, yeah, the first, again, the first year or so of Static is perfect superhero comics. Mm-hmm. Everyone's tried to do Spider-Man mm-hmm. after like Lee and Dicko. And Static is the perfect update of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've heard. So I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, and like that first year is untouchably good comics. Hmm. So, yes. And also features John Paul Leon before he's the John Paul Leon we know now, if that makes sense. Uh, it like, does. You yeah. see him sort of work out all his kinks hmm. uh, on the page. And it's, I mean, he's never less than great. Mm-hmm. But before he really leaned into the, you know, the hard blacks. Oof. 
Um, like you see him work out other things there, and he's inked by Sean Martin, bro. Oh, interesting. For the run, who like oh. you know went on to become a, a, a penciler and inker in his own right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's inked for Sean Martin, bro, for most of it. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's static. Whenever static starts appearing, and the weird thing is, I don't think they ever did a trade collection of the original static series. Wow, that's so weird. Which is nuts, because like there was a cartoon. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they ever did one, and it's a shame because static is is again just unspeakably good like the milestone comics were some of my favorite superhero comics right. of the 90s easily yeah so i'm really glad to see this stuff coming back me too although i kind of feel like i can't pay too much attention to the it's it's a little it's a little uneasy making isn't it the the whole rights issues behind the scenes like it's still I, a bit I, of a free-for-all right is it i thought it had been sorted out uh had it the last i heard was like mcduffie's widow was more or less like they just outright stole this and they are not i see i thought that was why that when they announced a, a like reboots like two or three years ago i was i thought that's why that didn't happen i and yeah. I, thought, I thought sorted out and that's why it's finally coming back now maybe i hope so i certainly hope so um, because I haven't heard anything one way or the other. That was the last thing I heard, and admittedly, it was several years ago. So, I don't know. I, I, again, it's one of those things where I'm sure I can look into it and break my heart if I want to. Yeah, exactly. I think I, it might be very, very depressing. Right. Um, but no, the, the, uh, the, I really hope, uh, if nothing else, I really hope we get the original stuff back in print. Yeah. I'm not particularly wild about the revivals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's it feels like it's uh, for want of a better way of putting it, it feels like it's cashing in on something. Yeah, and without McDuffie being there, I mean, I know Dennis Cowan's there. I know that that you know the other. I think Michael Davis is part of it. I know that there are creators involved in it, but like McDuffie's not there. Robert Washington's not there. Mm-hmm. You know the, the 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 writers that I loved from Milestone at the time mm-hmm. aren't there because sadly they're all dead, wow. which is honestly heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. Um, you know, but uh, you know, with the exception of Cowan, the artists aren't there either. Right. And so it's kind of like, well, okay, but are not are the characters strong enough to be done well by other people? They are, mm-hmm. but are the characters strong enough to be done well by these particular people? Mm-hmm. No offense to Reginald Hudland, but I'm not sure I want to see Reginald Hudland do static. Uh, right. I know exactly what you mean, sadly. Um, you know? So we'll see. One of the things I liked about the original Icon is it's called Icon, but it's not a series about Icon at all. Mm. It's a series about Rocket, his sidekick. Hmm. Like Icon is just the guy in the background. Who don't get me wrong, does his fair share of superhero stuff, but it's not really about Icon. Hmm. And I worry that when they bring it back, it's going to be a series about Icon. Hmm. That's you know? interesting. And that's... Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how the revival goes. But I really hope that the original stuff comes... All of it comes back into print. Mm-hmm. You know, that Icon's amazing. The first year or so of Static is great. Uh, Shadow Cabinet's really good. I hope the original Zombie comes back into print. Right. You know, all of that stuff. I, I hope, you know... Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to all of that stuff being available again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like I said, I was it was 
it was great to be able to pick up hardware digitally and just dip into it. And maybe because it wasn't a, um, didn't feel like a cohesive whole, uh, it was pretty easy to read an issue or two issues and then put it down and then pick yeah. it up the next night and Which read an well, issue honest, or two issues. Honestly, probably read better than when I read it in one go. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Because when I was reading it in one go, it was very clear. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this was an issue and this was an issue and this was an issue and this was an issue. And not because there's there's obvious, you know, cliffhangers, but because it felt like the intent of the book kept changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I, I know what you mean reading it. It was definitely, well, I also thought that that was one of McDuffie's big problems in a way is his setup is so strong right out of the gate. Like, if it's a movie, it kind of is like, okay, and here's where he goes and he gets his revenge on his mentor who's betrayed him. But he's like, uh, no, I'm just going to undermine him. No, wait, I'm not. No, now I'm going to kill him. No, wait, no, now I'm, hmm. Yeah, exactly. What am I doing there? Yeah, what you am know? I, exactly. And, and the, 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 the character keeps on going like, I'm doing this, no, I'm not. I'm doing this, no, I'm not. I'm doing feels like the book is going i'm doing this now i'm not yeah it does feel like when he does something that he's then going to change his mind from it feels like the book commits with the character and mm-hmm. then pulls back yeah 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 so yeah kind of kind of uneven but really kind of thrilling at the same time so yeah well again it was they, they were very exciting comics mm-hmm. like they, they there was something new and exciting about them mm-hmm. um and it felt more so for me than Image. Like, I wasn't really into the, the initial line of Image books. Mm-hmm. But, like, the Milestone books felt like something new and exciting. Right, right. And it yeah. felt like something new and exciting at the same time as, you know, don't get me wrong, I was reading Superman Dying. Mm-hmm. I was popping in and out from Nightfall, I guess, was what was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. But, like, the other stuff, and especially what was happening over at Marvel at the same time, mm-hmm. was leaving cold. Right. You right. know, the milestone books, especially again, icon, static, felt like they were really leaning into the character. I feel it felt like they're really leaning into writing. Yeah. At a time when Marvel and DC felt like they were leaning into like shock. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Very very, very much so. Uh yeah, yeah. Really um I'm glad the stuff I'm glad the older material's coming out. I, since I'm not as familiar with the characters, I don't I don't I'm sort of in. You're like, like you're like oh they're reviving it okay. Yeah exactly it's far too value neutral. I have neither no like oh they're going to screw it up or like I don't want to see these characters being handled by someone else and it's also kind of like I don't well, necessarily for, for one, care they're coming back. Yeah like I don't this might sound like an insult it's not meant to but like the characters literally mean nothing to you. Right yeah like yeah, I exactly. expect you. Mm-hmm. To go, oh, well, you know, I don't trust Reginald Hudland with these characters. Because right. why would you? Right, right, exactly, exactly. You know, it's like me being like, oh, you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I, I really hope the new creative team does a great job. To be fair, because... I mean, I don't definitely don't trust Reginald Hudland with any comic book characters. Sure, but, but, but I mean, you know what I'm meaning. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, not the, it's, it's not the same thing. Yeah, there's no skin in the game for, for me. So... Um... Yeah, no, I, I, um, hmm. So there's so many other things I, I want to mention. Um, 
One of which is uh, Bloodstone and the Legion of Monsters, which is a trade. Remember those glorious months where like Amazon was just pricing Marvel digital trades for like 11 cents or whatever. And I just buy it. Just buy it. Just buy it. We're kind of curious, like how many people will actually buy this if we, if we price it like it's a counterfeit product. And, um, and uh, the other day, uh, which is say a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start going through my extensive library of comiXology titles and one of the that great... I've never touched. Exactly. I appreciate, Graham, how much you dashed ahead of me shaming myself so that you could shame me first. I got to admit, <laughs> there's something that's just all but kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's, you just got to, you just got to respect that. You got to respect the hustle. I, I, on the one hand, apologize. On the other hand, don't. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but yeah, one of the great things about comicsology that I love is that it's out of sight, out of mind. Like, but the flip side of that is, is there's no quote unquote joy of discovery of like you just sliding the long box out from under your bed or closet or whatever and just kind of rifling around or like finding some stuff lying in a pile and being like, oh, right, I never got around to reading this. And so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff damn you that i have not read uh and i was like okay i'll just start looking through stuff and and pull things that that i've been meaning to and dig into so bloodstone and the legion of monsters is a weird ass marvel trade paperback from a few years back where it collects the first half is material featuring elsa bloodstone uh in fact i think that there's a Dennis Hopeless wrote, wrote, wrote a four or five issue uh, Bloodstone in the Legion of Monsters miniseries that was like, honestly, it had its charms. Like it had some construction where I was like, oh, OK, I see where this is going. I don't really like these characters per se, but I don't necessarily mind. Like it kind of grew on me. It's like, yeah, fine. And. But the back half of the trade was all of the original Ulysses Bloodstone material. Oh, um, which is very your thing. Yes, exactly. Which is very my thing. And uh, it's kind of interesting because it's, it's, it's also a fucking mess. Uh, John Warner, who I think I spent a lot of time convinced was one of Steve Englehart's pseudonyms, but other people told me, no, 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 he's not. Uh, was an editor at Marvel for a lot of their black and white magazines. And so he had his chance to introduce his character. And it's it's interesting watching him try and build up a Doc Savage. It's very much a Doc Savage character. I mean, Blood's, Ulysses Bloodstone is like about as generic as the character, as a character can be origin wise. Like he is the proverbial caveman that has an immortal alien gem embedded in his chest that keeps him from dying and he's fighting a strange shadowy conspiracy um that uh has been you know he's been at war with all these years and as he goes on he picks up all this knowledge he picks up all this wealth and riches and he's got his 
private island and pretty soon he's he's very much in the pulp hero concoction but it's also hilarious and sad how much john warner is very much like yeah bloodstone he's a thing and everyone's like no he's like no he's great look he's so cool he's got his own island i mean like he literally he has like Two appearances, one of which actually went up on Marvel Unlimited recently, which was ironic because it really did happen after I downloaded the, my trade and wasn't the, the cause of. Um, but, uh, you know, starts off in like Marvel Premiere or Marvel something in color. Oh, and then after it more or less flops, he brings it back as a backup story in the back of the Rampaging Hulk black and white magazine which he himself is editing. So there is a little bit of the, well, you know, we we feel like we should bring him back because, you know, this this black and white magazine thing, you know, we're we're trying to do things that are daring and different. Anyway, here's this character that um man, you guys, I so barely touched on his backstory. Let's start over. And um the part of the reason why I mention all of this Graham, is in the very last issue like there's it's all building to this battle against this shadowy conspiracy and then in the last issue steve gerber comes in and just cold-bloodedly kills off not just the main character but the supporting characters <laughs> and then what's amazing is the romantic interest talks about what a drip and what an uninteresting character the Ulysses Bloodstone is. Like, it's just, oh. it's, I just, I don't know if like Warner left. That's or, shocking. It is. It's shockingly disrespectful. And I mean, it's kind of brilliant because there's such a. Really um, shockingly disrespectful. You, I was agog. Because, you know, it's kind of one of, it's kind of, um, it's kind of shitty. It's kind of a shitty knocking it's, down of the sandcastle, you know? Um, I mean, it's not kind of shitty. It's entirely shitty. Right. I mean, Gerber, to his semi-credit, is kind of talking about uh, one one of the things that he sort of more or less pulls back on the curtain is that here is a guy that has lived his, in, you know, as long as all of humanity and is basically completely uninteresting because all he's done is pursue vengeance. You know, he's been on this quest to kind of keep himself, uh, you know, the, 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 the gem is this thing that is actually uh, more sentient than he realizes and is more or less experiencing all of his life and and has more or less been pulling the strings behind the scenes to make um, this character just essentially live all these lifetimes without succumbing to ennui, but is never really actually lived. And I'm like, oh, okay, but what about his buddy, the happy-go-lucky ex-actor who ends up being his aide-de-camp, who literally gets flamethrowered to death by a hired assassin who says something like, you died as you lived, tritely. And it was just like, wow, woof. I mean, it is cold-blooded. It is a Steve Gerber diss track 
for the entire series See, that came I before it. I know you'd be kind of be into it because it's just downright mean. And to be fair, like the stuff that came before it is kind of inept, but I mean, it's kind of like it's sort of Doc Savage, but since he's a monster hunter, the other thing that's crazy is the monsters are largely all of the giant monster ilk, the kaiju ilk. So it's lots of like giant rampaging creatures. Is there just nothing original about this character? Because like his origin is Vandal Savage. Well, see, that's it. It's Exactly. It's Doc Vandal Savage. That's literally what the guy is trying to do with it. The No, there's really not. It's just sort of... But A, I don't necessarily fault that. And B, he's like, he's trying to jam lots of shit together. So like I said, it's like him, but he's Doc Savage, but he's fighting giant monsters that are very much of the giant monster variety, which is great because, of course, I want to say, oh, no, it wasn't him. It was somebody else. I was like, I mean, he brings the John Warner brings back characters from Jim Steranko's Nick Fury run for a specific reason that is weird. Like, it doesn't really make any sense. He's like, ah, yes, the larger mythology that is Jim Steranko's Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm like, Steranko couldn't even remember what he was doing from page to page on that thing. Why would you think that that's... Anyway, it's... uh, Yeah, no, it just... It is... It is... It's an indigestible mess. But I'm kind of like, you know, that also describes... Yeah, that's Marvel Comics in the 70s, right? Well, that's just it. Like, it sounds terrible in such a way that I really want to read it. Yeah, I think that you should get a hold of this trade and read it because it is awful and is therefore worth your time. Now, by contrast, on Comixology Submit two weeks ago, I bought a comic called President Werewolf um, because it was called President Werewolf. It sounds promising. Yeah, and doesn't, I mean, it's kind of, it doesn't quite live up to all that it promises, despite the fact that you have a president who does end up being a werewolf and literally, I mean, it's, yeah. It's, You're like, I mean, what do you want? I mean, you know, how could that go wrong? But he, but it's that classic situation where the guy's like, eh, eh, you know, you're like, okay, so you know about politics? He's like, eh, I talked to a friend who knows a lot about politics, but it's, I'm like, I don't know. Like for me, if I came up with the title President Werewolf, I would at least do my research. And by do my research, I mean I'd at least watch like, I don't know, two plus episodes of The West Wing. It's clear this guy didn't even do that. So it's kind of a bummer. Kind of a bummer. Like President Werewolf, I got to take a pat, is not the the delight of of bad comics that... that bloodstone and uh, the legion of monsters is <laughs> also i i know you probably saw this but oh my god the uh, marvel what was it marvel premiere 20 marvel presents no that that was the bloodstone issue marvel premiere 27 which is a satana issue written by chris claremont hit marvel unlimited i saw it i didn't read it uh, I, was that a mistake it depends on what you mean by a mistake, Graham. The thing that's great about Satana is, A, I've always found her creepy. Uh, B, I've always found her kind of hot. And C, Chris Claremont being Chris Claremont 
is so far beyond me in that I I am shocked that this is Chris Claremont in like I don't know 1975 1977 and he actually has Satana like face down a bunch of angry villagers who are trying to kill a witch and makes the leader of the group um, she commands him to fall to his knees and squeal like a pig in front of her. And he does. <laughs> and I was like, Chris Claremont, you freaky fuck. You knew what your kink was all the way back then. Like, seriously. Like, it's... The story is not great. It's drawn by the tribe, which is to say... It's drawn by the tribe. Yeah, do you know who the tribe is or don't you there it's, it's, isn't that like when they couldn't i always thought that was an inking thing when they didn't have anyone to to do it and it was like 72 people on, on an issue yes but i think i think the tribe like many was, hands um right or crusty bunkers but i think the tribe yeah. was specifically um filipino artists so oh I didn't know that. Tony D. Zuniga and Alfredo Ocala. And so you can see a lot of... It looks great. It looks beautiful. And that's it. Satana looks fabulous. There's just sequences. Because, you know, the Filipino artists, they're like, well, clearly there's going to be a scene where she's naked for no reason. You know? And... Chris Claremont's like, yes. See, that's it. Chris Claremont's like, no reason, au contraire, every reason, including Papa-like. In fact... She's going to be, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, if you want, like, a little x-ray of Chris Claremont's psyche, and I mean, really, who does also, who does, who doesn't, but really more importantly, who does? Uh, it's, it's a, it's I was going to say, I, I've read a, great a lot of Chris Claremont comics. Well, yeah, exactly, but I think what's great about it is, again, it's, it's weird. I guess I always assumed that Chris Claremont was a dude who slowly got in touch with his kinks as he went on and the way he wrote. You're like, nope. Well, that's when it. I, when, well, when did this come out? Uh, it's got to be. Right now. Yeah. 75. Wow. Exactly. Exactly, man. You know, so I'm kind of like, huh, huh. Um, but like I said, I, I also really like Satana. She, she creeped me out. And of course... As I was talking about back when I, you know, heard that the Hellstrom TV show was coming up, which you told me about and I thought was a joke. Like, I'm kind of like... <laughs> because it should be. Let's be honest. Oh, uh, no, man, no. I mean, I mean, on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, Supernatural ran for, what, 15 fucking seasons? 13 seasons? Somebody with half... An ounce of talent should be able to squeeze at least three seasons out of Son of Satan and Satana. Unfortunately, because Jeff Loeb is involved, you don't even have that. Yeah, I was going to say, good luck with that. Yeah, so that's not going to happen. But but in my brain, I'm like, hoo-hoo, boy. Um, Yeah, so that was great. Uh, I'm definitely going to hold off talking about Abbey's comics for another uh, week or two. Um, oh, and I read Conan the Barbarian number 57, which is to say that I reread Conan the Barbarian number 57. Is that like an old, one of the old Marvel books? It like is. the old Marvel, not, not the new series? Yeah, yeah, the, the old Marvel. And in fact is because I was um, swapping tweets 
with uh, with somebody because I had mentioned the Marvel BOGO sale online and someone God, I can't even remember how we got talking about it but they were oh they were like yeah hey so is you know uh, is is the Conan stuff ever going to show? When's the Conan stuff going to show up on Marvel Unlimited? And I'm like, I do not think that it is ever going to show up on Marvel Unlimited. You know, maybe you should get some of the one of the buy one get ones. And he's like, oh, I've got the you know a couple of the Dark Horse collections, which I do as well. But one of the things that the Dark Horse collections usually don't have are the covers. And so anyway, in the Marvel BOGO sale, there's a whole section set aside to Conan, and they more or less have the first 100, 112 issues, which I think you had pointed out to me um, like a couple of months back. And at the time I was like, oh yeah, great. It's on Comixology. I don't need them. I've got the things. But I had I that... I didn't know if they had the collection, but I know that they've been uploading yeah, the issues. individual issues for right. So, and that's it. I was like, okay, I don't care. I've got a couple of the collections. I don't have any need for the individual issues. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. What if I went and bought the very... <laughs> what if I did? <laughs> exactly, Graham. You've read my mind. Wow. Again, just got to jump no, ahead of me. First issue of who? First issue of Conan that I ever read. I was like, I want to, I want to pay, I, I, I always think that it's lower than it is, like it's the in, in the low 20s or something like that. It's not. It's actually issue 57. And I was like, oh, gosh. I, I'm literally going to try and find the issue, the cover, because I want to see what lured you in. Issue 57, it's got a Gil Kane cover. It's a Gil Kane That's cover. That's a great cover. Yeah. Um, winner of the Academy Award for Best Comic Mag. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Uh, so uh, still the world's best, most savage hero, a barbarian chained. It is a great cover, though. It well, okay. So there's there's a number of factors here. First off, the Academy Award for Best Comic Mag. Roy Thomas is writing and editing. So unsurprisingly, he put that blurb. It had won an Ace Award, or I don't remember if it's that, or if it was, remember the Eagle Awards. Maybe he won an Eagle Award. I forget I which. I think it's too early for the Eagle Awards. Um, yeah, it's, you know, hold on. Give me a second, because I can look. Because he puts it on a blurb in the letters page. In the back, oh, he does? Yeah, okay. which is actually in the issue, which is uh, in, in the digital copy, which is kind of fabulous. All right, give me a second. 57... Open this up. Get to the last page. Um, special note. It's with a hopefully pardonable pride that we announced that at the recent annual banquet of the industry's own Academy of Comic Book Arts, Conan the Barbarian once again copped quite a few honors for itself and for its pencil-pushing personnel. First off, the magazine itself won Best Feature Honors for the third year out of the five since the founding of ACBA back in 1970-71. Editor Roy Thomas was pleased as punch to accept the Academy's annual award for superior achievement by an individual for his triple threat writing, editing, and general kibitzing activity in 74. And we couldn't be more proud and happy that Big John Basima was tapped for Best Penciler, parentheses, Dramatic Division, Largely on the basis of his art is blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so uh, so there's a few things. One, yes, 
it's a great cover. What's great is is that I see, saw it and and remembered it because it's kind of like it's red and Conan is looking directly at the reader. And I got to tell you, Graham, the number of covers by the time you get to this one that are red and are sort of similar, I'm like, uh, no, ah, no, eh. The thing to keep in mind is, um, weirdly enough, I did not buy this issue of Conan. It was given to me. Now, uh, there was, uh, I had a friend at the time whose name, uh, God bless him, was Gaeta. Uh, and I'm not quite sure why or how his parents came about to name him Gaeta, but they were basically gentle hippie folk who I, it would not surprise me, you know, basically his name was either, I would guess, Jewish or from The Hobbit. It says everything about his parents that in the particular time that I knew them back in the 70s, it, they really managed to sort of embody both, you know, and Gaeta who was really short and in, like he was, you know, those kids that probably won't hit puberty until he's like 17. And so he seemed much younger than everyone else in my class or me. And perhaps unsurprisingly, his favorite comic was Conan. Like he was the most bloodthirsty child. I think I ever knew like all he wanted was murder and slaughter and Conan unsurprisingly was his favorite uh, hero. And so he gave me this comic book. Interestingly enough, as long as I'm digressing and possibly boring the hell out of you. No, um, I, I, I want to know what happened to Gata. You know, I got to tell you, Gata changed his name to Alex, which kind of broke his parents' heart, but he insisted. He wanted to be called Alex and then he started, it was almost like he, he took little Flintstone chewable steroids or something. He got really aggressive. Like, Gata simmered with resentment, but Alex actively acted out. And I remember him shoving me in the halls over something, over, oh. I don't even remember what. And I was just like, dude, you're a dick. And unfortunately, that was the end of that. But... On the plus side, I now had his copy of Conan issue 57 and uh, it was the first I, I then proceeded to back, you know, collect back issues, which is. Why oh, so it, it so it did it for you. Oh, it did. Yeah, it totally did. Issue 57, interestingly enough, as I picked it up and read it digitally today for the first time since, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade uh, is if that um, was drawn by Mike Plug. It was a fill-in issue drawn by Plug, and it looks fucking fabulous, you know. Um, I went on to fall in love heavily with John Basima's work on Conan. I adore it. But looking at this issue, I was like, oh, it's so good. And it's just, it's a single issue. It's also the issue right before he meets Belitz, Queen of the Black Coast. So it's the perfect transition issue because the very next issue i picked up it's like conan gets a girlfriend and that's again the weird like why wasn't i i mean i was aware of it but not really aware like how important comic book romance was for me so comic so conan getting a comic book girlfriend and having one for something like 
three years was just the best uh, as far as I was concerned. But um, so I'm super glad that I picked this up. And then ironically, me being me, I went back because I realized, um, I think, I don't know if you remember this. This is, this is a long time call out, but I have the Dynamite's uh, um, collections of Red Sonia you know, that were drawn by Frank Thorne, written by a variety of dudes, usually edited by Roy Thomas. There is a four-part Conan Red Sonia crossover that I was reading at Dynamite. And they're like, and Roy Thomas is like, sorry, true believers, we don't we don't have the rights to do the Conan parts of the story. So we just have the end of the story where he popped, you know, the end of the Red Sonia issue where he pops up and then the beginning of the next issue where they're parting ways. But, you know, let me tell you what happened in between. I was like, are you guys fucking shitting me? Anyway, so with the Marvel That's BOGO amazing. sale, I went and rebought those issues. I'm like, great, now I can finally read the whole crossover. Um, yeah, Alex, Gata, uh, you'll also be happy to know that um, Steve Englehart's uh, Captain America was a comic that, um, that a, another school chum had lent me. That he Wait, really so is all of is all of like the comics that I think of like very Jeff Lester comics, are they all someone else gave them to you? Um you know the weird part is both Conan and Inkleheart's Captain America, yes. I mean all the other stuff, no, because I at a certain point turned into a weird you know, I was a weird buying machine. So like you know, Claremont and Cockrum's Uncanny X-Men, even the giant size X-Men by Ween and Cockrum, you know, I bought that, I bought the other stuff. But yeah, no, weirdly enough, those two completely seminal books for in it in my mind were given to me by by people who are like, Hey, I like comics, let's be friends. Okay. And they clearly had, you know, almost much better taste than I did. So yeah, that's how I got into Inkleheart's Captain America. And again, that, and he literally gave me, it was the issue again, in this weird seminal way, he gave me the issue before the president of the United States blows his brains out. So I am, I am weirdly jealous, not of those particular comics. So though kind of with the Inkleheart Captain America, yeah. but because I didn't really have that. Like, I didn't have friends who were like, you should read this comic. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, all that shit I discovered myself. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I know what you mean. And I, I, I find myself very jealous of the idea that someone's like, no, you should read this. Well, I mean, in both those cases, I think, at least in my memory, that was how they decided to make friends with me. It was kind of that I was kind of just sort of the weird kid on the schoolyard, and I think they picked up or heard me talking about comic books or whatever and we're just like oh i read them too here maybe you would like this and we were friends for a period of time you know until whatever weird falling out happened you know um but yeah it was it usually which was probably at least in the case of the friend who gave me um Dangleheart captain america he liked captain america and he liked comic books okay uh, and we were friends, but it was clear he was destined to be a popular kid. And it was just, a, you know, it was a matter of time until he realized it. Like I saw him years later, like at a different high school, like, you know, all but captain of the football team kind of thing. 
you know, and it was kind of like, oh yeah, that that guy turned me that on guy. to Steve, that guy turned me on to Stephen Goldhart's Captain America, you know, like can't hate on him, you know. So, <laughs> but it it it's so like it is interesting to me that you know these things both Conan and Engelhart, but specifically Engelhart's Captain America seem mm-hmm. like very like integral Jeff Lester comics. Yeah, yeah, no, they were. And somehow the idea that like you didn't find them yourself is fascinating to me. Yeah, I I kind of know what you mean, which is weird because again there were bits and pieces like um, I I I was reading like Engelhart's Avengers, but for whatever reason I just never thought to branch out to. Engelhart's Captain America. Like, I don't even know if I was necessarily paying attention to the names at that point. So, no, I know what you mean. It, saying it out loud, it's kind of like, wow, that's really a, a weird and strange experience, you know? Um, but it's also, uh, yeah. And in fact, it's one of those things where it's a good thing I don't, I'm not on Facebook because I'd be like, wow, I should look those guys up and see what they're up to now. You know. And then you just get sad. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's, I, I feel like for me anyway, that's like any flow chart that starts with get on Facebook. That's always, it doesn't matter which pathway you take. That's always the ending box. And then Jeff gets sad, <laughs> you know, like there's just no way around that. Um, but yeah, so I got to say, so, uh, the one issue drawn by Mike Plug, which is Roy Thomas and it's Conan and he's ty- he's more or less like clearing the slate, which is there's a bunch of characters that Conan's been traveling with for a number of issues. They more or less get separated during some sort of crazy barroom brawl sort of stuff. And it's just a great, I want to say it's a done in one, but it kind of... I don't know. It's just one night where they come to this city and everything falls apart. And then at the end of it, Conan is more or less fleeing for his life and is more or less enlisting in the Navy so that he can get away from the King's Guard. And the two people who were his comrades are more or less written out of the book. And that just had such a weird, like rereading it. I'm like, oh, I can see why I was really into it. Because part of it is, the you know... I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like, I like reading it. It was weird seeing how much my friend Gata was, it was all about, I think it was about being Conan was the ultimate big tough guy. And he, you know, there's, there's a scenes in the book where he's literally shoving guys who are trying to bully other people into the mud, you know, but he's also kind of like, he, he's just, you know, he's foul tempered. He's more or less in a pissy mood because they come to this city because they've been told that it was going to war with another city and he finds out they brokered a peace treaty and so he's in a shitty mood for more or less the <laughs> I rest thought there of was the gonna issue. Be fighting. Exactly. He's like, Ah, you're all fops you know, and which is, you know, kinda great reading it now. But it's really funny how much for like I said, I feel like for Gata was like, yeah, he's such a badass, and look, he's got like a you know a woman in a bikini on his arm, and I'm like, wow, he gets to go to the city and get rid of his friends. How awesome is that? <laughs> oh God! Well, thank you, thank you, Graham. Your checks in the mail. This was another successful <laughs> analysis section for me. 
I feel like I learned a lot about myself, arguably too much. Uh, thank oh you. Oh, my God. What's great is you're literally wrapping this up at the time that we should start wrapping up the episodes. Do you think? I guess we should. It feels a little short, but yeah, I guess that's probably right. Oh, that uh, makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I feel like there was new comic news. There was even more new recent old comics that I read, but I guess we'll have to wait for a week or two to There's talk about so those. There's so many new old, possibly po- perhaps comics to be read. Absolutely, Graham. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. So should we just move into closing and, and wrap it up? Because it does I'm, seem... I'm trying to think, like, what else would we talk about? Uh, Is there like, comic, news? comic news? I don't... I Oh, uh... What? The closest thing I can think of is that Alan Moore interview yesterday, and that wasn't even news as much as like it felt like someone. I because I complained on Twitter that uh, for people who don't know, Deadline Hollywood interviewed Alan Moore ostensibly about a short film, but really just wanted him to say, "Why don't you like Batman?" Right. Um, and I was complaining about that. I was saying like I feel sorry for Alan Moore because he's trying to promote new work, and people are just like, "Yeah, but this work you did thirty years ago. Why don't you like comics anymore?" And someone responded with, uh, people don't want to interview Alan Moore. People just want to drop 25 cents in. Mm. Mm. And that's kind of what it feels like. So, But that's like the, the that's the closest to actual news I can think of. Mm. Well, uh, do you remember the name of the comic? Because uh, I always thought it was a very clever idea. Is it from Black Mask, the one about uh, basically only black people can get have superpowers it's called black it is called black okay that's what i thought and uh is being developed as a movie um and we'll see where that goes there's so many things that get movie deals that just sort of disappear into the ether or worse get vin Vin diesel attached to them um and uh i i i hope that that comes to fruition because it people seemed really excited you know, and and I mean, the creators seemed really excited, which was sort of great. But um, I have to say, it's a it's kind of a, it's a good premise. Um, I think the one thing that is sad to maybe tie these these things together is that Deadline Hollywood interview had they were kind of like being like, well, so but like the Joker, did you watch the Joker movie? Because they said you were kind of an influence, and he was like, oh. But um, you know, there. I think they they the might have um, the illustration for the article might have had images from the Watchmen TV show. You know, and it's did it? I think so. I thought it did. Um, I mean, you know, it, it was like it was that classic kind of let's composite a couple of images. Let's but like, see. So the, the picture, headline is yeah. Watchman creator talks a new project to show how superhero movies have blighted culture and why he wants nothing to do with comics. Yeah. And there is an Alan Moore photograph, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, the Killing Joke, not the Killing Joke comic cover, the poster for the Killing Joke animated movie. Wow. Um, A still from his short movie, The Show, another still from short movie, The Show, that's it. That's the only images. Oh, you know what it is? I, what happened was, I think I jumped to somebody's, because I, I looked at, because it was a trending topic on Twitter. So, of course, it was the classic, I jumped to a website that was summarizing, yeah. pulling the quotes and had their own image 
Um, and then I clicked through and read it. So yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm wrong about that. But um, yeah, it was. So but nonetheless, like it's like the Walking the Walking Dead, uh, not the Walking Dead, the Killing Joke mm-hmm. uh, movie in, instead of the actual thing is just ish ish ish. <laughs> um. So yes, that black uh, and sort of making the case that I think that that black. I'm not sure if black would have had as good a chance of being optioned if the Watchmen, uh, if it had been for the Watchmen TV show. Yeah. And especially if it hadn't won so many awards and things. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think, I think that's 100% true. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that that's kind of a strange little, uh, bit of connective tissue between there, but no, uh, like I said, there's other things that, that other comics that I wanted to talk about. I don't really know about any comics news and I got to tell you, I'm just happy about it. I got, I ground. <laughs> I feel well, like we went through a period where we were talking about comics news and it was just grim. It was nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it wasn't, there just wasn't anything that was necessarily, um, happy making. So yeah, I'm kind of excited. It was like, yay, I get to talk about, you know, Steve Englehart comics and Conan and Ulysses Bloodstone. And, ah, I wish I could loan that, that digital trade to you. So, <laughs> Um, I, I read this week, I or, or reread, I should say, um, all of Death Metal. Oh, interesting. And, right. And I'm happy to say that it does actually make slightly more sense if you read it all in a one Again, it's a bit of a problem that you have to read it all. Mm-hmm. Now, is that because, because I feel like one of the things you'd mentioned on, on Twitter or elsewhere, that you had read the latest Death Metal one shot tie in kind of thing and been dramatically confused by it again, right? Or no? Uh I here's where it's funny. I haven't said that publicly, but I said that to you privately. Oh you did? Oh shit. Yeah. Oh so when sorry. I talked to you Wednesday. Uh-huh. Um I'm not like I'm not saying I didn't say publicly because like it's not to be said. I just saying in the sense of like it came up in in the course of a different conversation. Um That is so funny. But yeah, that like I re- I reread it. Well I reread it for two reasons. One, I was watching the Snyder going to watch the Snyder mm-hmm. death metal panel. And so I wanted to sort of be up to date. And two, I had read the Multiverse's End one shot mm-hmm. and had a feeling of like, I feel like I've missed something. That's the one, that's and, what I remember. And I swear and, I thought you tweeted that. Okay. Uh huh. And then, um, like there is so little of it mm-hmm. that it is something you'd be like, okay, it's like eight comics. I'm going to read all these eight comics. Right. Um, I still think it's, I'm, I put this way: I'm not on board death metal. Mm-hmm. I am very curious to see where it's going, or not where it's going. I'm curious to see how they do what they want to do based right. on what Snyder says in that panel. Mm. Interesting. Um, he gave out he he essentially spoiled issue four, which is out this week, which is kind of fun. Wow! Um, but he said that so uh the what's it called trinity crisis one shot which is really death metal issue three and a half yes um ends with superman wonder woman and batman going to the dark multiverse to revisit points in history right so basically change them mm-hmm. and in doing so gain the and i quote crisis energy that will help them defeat the big bad of the story mm-hmm. you know there's so much of this that is like video game logic yeah um 
but and they get there and they're met by like uh, one of them goes to Final Crisis and meets like an evolved Dark Side. One of them goes to uh, Infinite Crisis and meets Superboy Prime. One of them goes to I think the Anti Monitor and meets something. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things it, that's a little weird. Yeah. Like it's strange. Yeah, but um, but anyways, so Snyder goes yeah. So they go back in time and they see that, and then then one woman realizes that only bad guys try and rewrite their own pasts. And so what they have to do is accept that everything has happened and then go forward with that knowledge, which on the one hand is thematically really interesting to me. Yeah. On the other hand, doesn't work within the framework of the story he set up. No. <laughs> like at all. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm really curious to see where he goes with that. But I, there's something in the only bad guys try and rewrite history thing that I really am interested in hmm. and how you go from that to everything, everything will end up have counted, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's interesting to me. Hmm. Uh, but my interest in, in death metal remains, uh, sort of theoretical for one of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm interested in what it is trying to do. I can't say I really like it. Yes, right. I mean, there's that, and I also wonder how much your investment is built on the fact that you have read everything leading up to it. Like, you know, that it's that classic kind of swindle of, like, if you bail now, all the hours that you put well, there, in... There's a point, there's a point in, in Multiverse's End mm-hmm. where John Stewart literally recaps everything from Death Metal forward. Wow. Oh, wait, from Death Metal for From you, Metal, from metal, from metal forward, forward. Rather. Yeah, right, right, right. I, I then skips over the entire, like, 40-issue run of Justice League. No, really? Holy it's shit. like, yeah, there was also some other stuff about the Legion of Doom, but you don't need to know about that. Oh. Oh. Yeah. It's like, so, yeah, that stuff, that shit really didn't count, man. Wow. That's, that's kind of a shameful admission, you know? That's, wow. That's kind of a bummer. Hmm. Huh. Well, uh, gosh, I am. Um, how many issues is De- Death Metal? Like thirty six thousand. Wow. That's a weird thing. It's it's. I want to say Death Metal, the main series, is is like seven issues, but there's I, a metric shit ton of tie-ins. There really and are all one shots. They're all one shots. Yeah, is the weird. Thing. Yeah. With the exception of I think there's a five issue run of Justice League in there as well. Huh. But so far, there's been. Hang on, I can actually just look at my comicsology and it'll tell you. Um, so far, there has been, in addition to death metal, mm-hmm. there has been, let's see. Nope, that's not there. Death metal guidebook, death metal trinity crisis, mm-hmm. death metal multiverse's end, death metal speed metal, and issues of Justice League. Wow. Uh, it's interesting. I think I have two of the death metal tie-ins, um, Trinity Crisis, and I feel like I got one of the other ones more or less by accident. And uh, I, you know, it's oof, I I I don't know what to say. I hope it's selling because I'm because I, I I just don't I don't know. I I can't see myself picking up the rest of those one shots, especially not at like six dollars or nine dollars a pop or whatever the hell it is like so i don't know we'll we'll see i'm just i'm very 
Uh, I'm looking right now. Like it's sadly they don't really show the. Uh, if you're on the app, they don't show you the price, which is a problem. Yeah. But um, yeah. okay, looking right. at the one shots, speed metal is not essential for death metal. But if you've been reading Josh Williamson's Flash, I would argue it is essential. Oh right, I did almost pick it up because it's the race of the flashes and right. Got it. Um. Yeah. Multiverse's end is not essential and yet maybe my favorite issue of the entire thing interesting trinity crisis is 100 essential yes. and i talked about which is why i picked it up yeah. three and a half yep guidebook is not and there's another one i'm there's there's another hang on i'm going to actually look at the series um legends of the dark knights as well uh, so we've right. had one two three four five tie-ins for a book, five one shots for a series that's three issues in. Man. Which Man. does feel a lot. It does, you know? doesn't it? Yeah, it, it definitely feels like they were trying to put a lot of eggs into this basket. And what's, what's weird is there's there was an interview with Scott Snyder on, I think, Newsarama recently, mm-hmm. where he more or less says, yeah, and at one point, we're just going to take over the entire line. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I'm really glad you didn't because there's not enough there, realistically. I mean, sure, it takes over the entire DCU and they make a point of saying, like, it's the real DCU, but story-wise, there's really not enough there. Right. Well, I think actually one of the things I say this, I like the fact that I can read it and at least the various crossovers are sort of set to just various one shots. Like I can ignore them or not. Like, again, they're eight or nine dollars a pop, I think, but I don't have to really I can pick and choose, you know, and for the most part, I've chosen not to. So, um, did you did you explain why you like multiverses multiverses and the the most? Um, it feels honestly, I like it most because it feels the most Morrisonian. Mm. It's basically it's basically a sequel to JLA Earth Two. Oh, interesting. Uh, they're on Earth Three as it is now, but the entire logic is you're on a planet where evil wins. Right, where evil can only win. Uh, how do you beat the bad guy on that planet? Hmm. Um, and also, it has Green Lanterns, and I just love Green Lanterns in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has Captain Carrot. Ah. Yeah, I can see where that be. And it, play, and it plays Captain Carrot right, which is to say, Captain Carrot is just inherently good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so all the characters are like, he's great. <laughs> Like, they don't play it for laughs at all. They just right. play it as, like, here's this guy who's just good and does good f- because it's the right thing to do. And we need a guy like that around because he keeps us going. Huh. You know, like, even Guy Gardner's like, no, he's he's my moral support. <laughs> huh. Like, that seems like a, a – maybe not a smart take, but a nice take. It, se- it felt like a take that resonated with me. It felt like something that was – um fun mm-hmm. and human for want of a better way of putting it mm-hmm. inside a storyline that honestly has had very few warm moments for me yes so, yeah for sure for sure yeah. you know so so it, it resonated really well with me for that mm-hmm. um but i just feel that death metal 
suffers from suffers from two things. One, it just feels like a rehash. Mm-hmm. Feels like a rehash of. I mean, it's literally a rehash of other crises. Mm-hmm. But also, like it's it's literally Hickman's Secret Wars, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, very much um, so. And they're doing nothing to differentiate it. And then, but inside that, they're like, oh, but there is. There's a. There's you know, who is the Robin King? Who is the Darkest Knight? And the answer is, it's another fucking Robin, but he's evil. Well, that, it's it's an right. It's another and, it's another Batman, but he's yeah, and, and, and Robin. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. and the the. The Darkest Night is the Batman who laughs, who was killed in the first issue, and then immediately brought back. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, this this shit's boring. You know, I do have to say, I never got the sense. I think the other thing that is is uh, a a good contrast is I never really felt like Hickman's Secret Wars was quote unquote about anything. You know what I mean? Like I was never. Maybe I missed some amazing comic industry subtext to Hickman's Secret Wars, but it was kind of like, yeah, these universes got destroyed and then Victor Von Doom was the guy who managed to figure out how to save things and and he set up a world in his image, as so to speak, and uh, and then it came back to bite him in the butt. And there was just something that was sort of super grand about it but it never i was never like oh dr doom is clearly joe casada you know what i mean no, where no no it, it, it felt very much honestly secret wars felt very very much like an event that exists to be an event yeah it was an event that existed to be an event and so does death metal uh in a good in, in a good way see because what i think about hickman's secret wars is it really did build on top of all this other stuff. I felt like his Avengers was heavily, heavily, heavily plot hammered. But by the time you get to Secret War, you're kind of like, okay, it's kind of like, it's a big event where you kind of felt like it could go anywhere. And of course there was a that, which is where it's ridiculous that Marvel punked out. It felt like it was going to go end up in like oh this is a perfect way to hit the reset button yes exactly like you know? like by marvel making the big point of like oh no we've ended the marvel universe yeah you had perfectly prime things for a reboot and honestly at a point when marvel needed a reboot yes yeah and they just didn't fucking morons uh yeah so i mean that was but at least it felt like how do i put it like the things that clearly give Jonathan Hickman like a writer boner are in Secret Wars. It's all political intrigue and rethinking and recasting characters in like new lights to try and burnish some of the other weirder elements to their to their that are part of their persona or whatever. Like those are all things that like you get the sense that Hickman is really into secret war in terms of it being a story that he, that excites him. And I'm not sure I feel that way about death metal about, you know, I don't get a sense that Snyder is, I mean, unless Snyder, I mean, I think there's a part of Snyder where he enjoys his big old helping of like, like pushing the subtext into the text, that's clearly a thing that he really yes. likes. He likes. But apart from that, I don't necessarily know if there are other things that you would say that that Snyder 
really likes in death metal. You know what I mean? Like, I it, which would be interesting because I feel like I've read enough Scott Snyder books to get a sense of what that should be. But I'm, I don't know if I would know, you know. No, no, I, I entirely agree. It's it's, I it it feels very, again, it feels very much like it's being done. It, it's in it for the money. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels very. I I know, and I know from I know from like having previously talked to him. I know from having watched interview with some, with I tried again watched interviews with him. Um, like he fully thinks that he is making some grand statement. Yeah. Oh, but definitely. like reading the comics, right? That doesn't come across at all. Mm. Well, you it, know, I, the comics feel lifeless. See, and I think that's it. I think he it does feel like he's making a grand statement, and it's arguable that it's even an interesting statement. But I do think that there is something that doesn't have the at at the at the risk of showing my my ass in a big way i feel that the closest analogy would be if you look at look at morrison morrison's big statements um about in dc are usually pretty heartfelt you know what i mean like he has he's 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 making an argument that he's personally invested in and and it or at least he's a good enough craftsman that it feels like it you know what i mean like morrison may be actually laughing all the way to the bank but it certainly feels like he is pushing forward a set of um obsessions and beliefs about the dc universe and why it should be the way that it is that feel pretty impassioned and what i think is interesting about snyder's stuff is it it is it feel it feels like the kind of slightly corporate newspeak version of that you know yeah um and in in that weird way that brings us back to the virtual comic-con stories that we started with it it feels it it feels polished in a way and even when it's not it it has a little bit it feel it feels closer to spin if you see what i'm saying I yes, guess. yes yes you know so i don't know anyway it'll it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it wraps up but i'll be honest i kind of wish it was over already the fact yeah, that it's still it's the, fact that it's the fact that we're literally only halfway through Oof. and there's so much more to come including mark wade's return to dc Oh yeah, right. Which he's, is... in one, he's in one of the one shots. Mm-hmm. Um, is 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 kind of exhausting. Yeah, right, right. It's just like okay, but but for real, <laughs> right? Do we have to? Can we not just jump to the bit afterwards? You know, what's funny though is, and at the risk of just drawing this entire uh, podcast episode out further than than we it should be drawn out. But didn't we kind of go through event exhaustion with House of X? Like, are you know, are we just old? I I think I think that's definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also COVID hasn't helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- you know, we've been hearing with death metal for a while now, mm-hmm. and then death metal got bumped for at least a month. Right. And I feel like it's going coming out slower as a result as well. Yeah. 
And so it really does feel like... I mean, Death Metal is running all the way up to the end of the year. Mm. It's going all the way through December. And that's with them double shipping in September to uh, December to make sure that it's over by the end of the year. Oof, wow. You know? And that still feels too long. It really does. It really does. Uh, and mean... we say that, like, you know, it's October. So they're actually speeding through in order to be done by December. Well, I was about to say, that seems kind of like... I guess that's right. If it's so, it's issue four this month, issue five next month, and then and issue, issue six, six and, seven, and seven in December. In, in December. But I mean, plus with all those one shots, yeah, no, a, I mean, that could be part of it. Part of my brain can't accept that we are midway through October, that we're sort of halfway between your birthday and my birthday already. But I, think... oh yeah, everyone, uh, it's Jeff's birthday on, on Halloween. And I meant to uh, ask everyone, uh, send gifts to Jeff. Oh. Send gifts to Jeff. Mm-hmm. Like, the gift could just be goodwill. Yeah, there um, you go. The gift could be uh, promising to vote. Mm. Um, just, but just like, it's been a shitty year, everyone. Or and shrooms. I just think shrooms. you should... <laughs> 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 it's been a shitty year, everyone. And I think you can do your bit to make this year better by giving something to Jeff Lester. Oh, shit. Graham, so like, are you are you getting that Avengers trade with the with my birthday gift to you? Uh, no. Oh, did you already use my birthday gift to get something else already? I've used part of it. Oh, you should use some part of it to get this Avengers trade because if I just thought that Avengers trade would be such a good birthday gift for you, (laughs) everyone. Get Jeff Lester a gift. Ah. Get, just do it. Yes. Just stop what you're doing right now, which is <laughs> just press pause in the podcast and think, what could I do to get Jeff Lester? What 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 would make him happy? Shrooms or voting. Vote and vote, vote and send me shrooms. <laughs> we're going to start. Uh, we're going to open a PO box just so you can do that. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. Okay, we really should drop this. Yeah, we should. I think I think once Jeff actually starts soliciting listeners for drugs is always a good sign to close the podcast up. <laughs> You're old fashioned that way. Um I've been very lax with the Instagram and the Tumblr lately, but Instagram.com forward slash waywellpodcast um and waywellpod.tumblr.com we have a Twitter account at Wait Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at LazyBastard at L-A-Z-Y. Sorry, again, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast. And Mr. Jeffrey Lester is going to step up to the mic right now. Tell us, Jeff. And spit it hot. Hey, uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, we love, we love our listeners. Uh, I am so grateful for the fact that you guys, um, occasionally stop by on Twitter and point something out or, um, follow up on a thing. Oh, geez. That's a piece of news. Um, I will try and wrap this up very quick. Uh, Kadansha is doing a horror manga, thrilling, thrilling manga, terror manga stuff. I literally, because Junji Ito had a collection, Dissolving Classroom, that came out digitally uh, from Kodansha just this week that was like 12 bucks, and I almost picked it up. And 
was like, uh, all right, I already spent my budget on some other stuff, so I put it in my wish list. Well, it turns out that Kadansha is not only is that in their humble bundle, but there is literally a hundred other volumes of manga. If you pay twenty dollars or more, you get literally a hundred plus volumes of horror related manga. Um, it's a fabulous deal. Uh, anyway, um, I mentioned that in part because I was tweeting with some people about it and, uh, and I think that, well, anyway, I'll, I'll get to that point. You guys are great. I love engaging with you guys. You managed to keep us, uh, motivated and interested. And thanks to the fine folks at Patreon who not only support us with your, your ears and your tears, but also a little bit of your hard-earned dosh. Um, I was able to not only get 100-plus volumes of manga, um, which Graham will be able to soon make fun of me for never reading, but I was able to pay more than the minimum, which means that some of that money goes to Kadansha, some of it goes to... Um, the humble bundle people, but I was also able to up the amount that went to charity, which I think this time was maybe Doctors Without Frontiers. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for that. It was able to do that without feeling the pinch. And I have to say, I had had this week off from work and the highlight of my week was being able to download those hundred plus volumes and completely clog my Dropbox uh, and our Wi-Fi. My my wife got kind of cross at me, and it was awesome. Is that what was happening when I talked to you on Wednesday? Yes, yes. Although I'm not sure that that was the cause of our problems when we talked on Wednesday, but it was definitely, I was like, oh, Graham, I apologize. This is going to go wrong. And as I recall, it did for a bunch of other reasons. Yeah, it took <laughs> forever. And in fact, I have so many... Um, volumes of Humble Bundle that I, you know, that I've purchased that are all hanging out in a Dropbox folder that I think I may have fucked my computer because when I turn it on now, it actually, you know, with this is something that used to happen with me all the time in the PC and never happened in the Mac, where it was like I would log on and then for the first 45 to 90 seconds, I can't, it, the computer's totally uh, unresponsive. Um, I have that now, thanks to Dropbox. And I'm like, thanks, Dropbox. Uh, yeah, and I can't figure out how to solve it. And every time I look online, they're like, well, you know, <laughs> they all but say, do you have something like 200 plus volumes of manga uh, in a in a Dropbox folder? Don't do that shit, you know, so. And you're like, I got it. I should tell you right now that um, the that humble bundle is running for another 24 days as we record. So great, I will I will re talk about it in two weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it's uh, supporting the ACLU and Doctors Without Borders. Ah, thank you so much. Yeah, so so really good stuff to throw money toward, and a lot of really good manga in there. A lot of really good stuff. So I I'm super pleased. So thank you, listeners. Thank you. Patreon listeners, thank you, Dominic L. Franco and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for your continuing support of this podcast. Dominic, I know I owe you an email. It wouldn't surprise me if Graham. Oh, I owe well. you like seven. Dominic. Yeah. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> and um, and thank you for for keeping. Um, just imagine how much worse off Graham we would be if they weren't doing such sterling jobs uh, keeping us safe as cosmic defenders. It would be it would be genuinely terrible, Jeff. It really would. Yeah, um, yeah, we are we are back next week with the drop, which means Jeff, you and I need to get reading some Judge Dredd this week. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> wow, you sound excited. Don't forget, Grant Morrison is waiting for you. Yeah, yeah, you've you've managed to do a great job downselling that. Otherwise, I would be and, excited. And honestly, <laughs> you'll still be disappointed. I'm just going to throw that out there. You're still going to be disappointed by it. I wish I could say otherwise. You're no, it's it's. Oh boy, everyone, in a week from now we're going to be doing Drock and uh, you too can join in Jeff's utter disappointment of Grant Morrison's Judge Red. Uh, and then the week after that we're doing uh, another Ray Wad. And then the week after that we're off again because it's Jeff's birthday. And, and Halloween. Jeff, but it's Jeff's birthday. <laughs> and Jeff is going to be tricking and treating um, himself, we can only hope. Send me shrooms. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh lord, we really have gone off the deep end. Um, I have a sore throat, as you can hear, so I'm not going to do any um, great high-pitched goodbyes, Ooh. but I'm instead going to say, hey everyone, bye. You know what, Graham? Bye! I don't know how you do that, episode after episode. It's exhausting. Bye.